Thank you, Terry and Sharon. Appreciate that so much. Turn your Bibles again to 1 Thessalonians, please. In chapter 5, if you came this morning and did not bring a Bible with you, please borrow one for the service. should be one in the chair rack in front of you. And for those who are using a church Bible, I'll be calling the page numbers when we turn to Scripture. This week, we celebrate one of my favorite holidays of the year, Thanksgiving. I look forward to it every year. If you notice, our world has kind of forgotten about that day. They celebrate uh, uh, Halloween. And they, now they're celebrating Christmas, but they forgot all about Thanksgiving. And so, in fact, on our road, there's people already decorating the house for Christmas already. And usually that comes after Thanksgiving. Basically, they forget all about Thanksgiving. But, you know, the most prevalent attitude for the child of God ought to be that of gratitude. And in a world that can care less about God or do not believe in him or have anything to do with him, we ought to be a grateful people. And before getting the message, I want to express my gratitude to you as a church for your kindness, your care, your love, your compassion for me as your pastor. You still talk uh, at times, many see me, Pastor, how you doing? And how's it going with you? If you do not know, the first part of the year I had a heart attack. My heart stopped completely. And they had to bring me back with that the defibrillator. And, uh, and then after that, I found out my, uh, called the widow maker, was fully blocked. And they put a couple of stents in. After that, I caught double pneumonia. Then I caught COVID. Then I got congestive heart failure. It's been an interesting year. And so, but I want to give you an update because I know so many of you pray for me. You still do. Please don't stop. I'm doing, doing much better. I'm about 85, maybe 90% where I used to be. My stamina is not quite as what it used to be. When I work out in the yard, I've got to stop several times, take a little break, then I can go back at it. But thank you for praying for me. And uh, just uh, uh, one thing they, they are doing now, they're trying to regulate my blood pressure medicine because it, it got it so low that sometimes when I bend over, tie my shoe and stand up, I get lightheaded, I get dizzy, and they're trying to regulate that. And they say it is getting better. And also, uh, because of the medicine they gave me when I had a heart attack, it damaged my thyroid. And now they got me on thyroid medicine. And if you look real close, they said one of the uh, byproducts of that condition is hair loss. And my hair's getting real thin right here. <laughs> and so that's, that's not the word. I mean, that's not, if that's all there was, not too bad, is it? <laughs> and so, uh, but there's a blessing I got out of having a heart attack, and there's an aggravation I got out of it. The blessing is I can see better. That uh, distance-wise, I can see without my glasses. I asked my eye doctor, he says, I have no idea why that happened. <laughs> so I don't need my glasses to see distance. I do to read. But that's interesting. But an aggravation I got is it makes my hair all stand up. <laughs> if you look real close, it stands up right in the middle. And the first time in my life, I have to wear hair gel. Prior to that, I had laid down all by itself. But if you look at it close, I put hair gel on twice already this morning. <laughs> and it is still sticking up. And so uh, uh, someone says, be thankful you got hair that even sticks up, Pastor. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, thank you. Uh, I, I'm so blessed to have you as a church. So grateful for your care and your compassion. Don't stop praying for me. Another issue I'm still throwing is my voice. Uh, between uh, 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 services I had run on my office, I got a speech, little exercise I do because of my voice, and I shouldn't have got my water up here. And so that, that's still uh, struggling a little bit. But anyway, I, I'm so grateful. Let me say this. 
most of all, I'm grateful that I'm saved. Amen. I'm grateful that I have eternal life. I've been forgiven for my sins, all because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. And so this morning, I'd like to talk about the principle of giving thanks. The principle of giving thanks. I hope you take out your insert and your bulletin. I want to share with you. We have three admonitions here in our scripture text. In verse 16, it says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Notice that it says rejoice, pray, give thanks. These are ordinary admonitions. But when you add the adverbs, it becomes a challenge. It says rejoice what? Evermore. It says pray without ceasing. It says give thanks, but it says in everything give thanks. So this morning I'd like to talk about the giving thanks. We're going to begin with the exhortation to give thanks. The exhortation to give thanks. You ever heard the phrase, this is easy preaching, hard living? What I'm going to share with you this morning is exactly that. Yet it's biblical. It's something we're told to do. The first one, the exhortation, letter A, is that we are to give thanks in every situation. We are to give thanks in every situation. It says there in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, in what? In some things, give thanks. Does it say that? In most things, in the good things, it says in everything. And what that means is every situation we experience in life, we are to give thanks. The other two admonitions deal with time, evermore without ceasing. This deals with circumstances that were told by God in everything to give thanks. Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing but in everything... By prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The word everything means this. It means individually or collectively. It literally means each, every, any, all, the whole, everyone, all things, everything. In other words, God says, Christian, in every situation, every circumstance you experience in life, God says, give thanks. The second admonition, the second admonition Go to with me now in Ephesians chapter 5, please. How many realize this is getting easy preaching hard living already? Interesting. A uh, preacher I heard many years ago, I never forgot, I don't remember his message, but I remember he had a certain phrase he said every, about every five minutes in his message. I never forget it. He quoted scripture, he says, it's in the book, what you going to do about it? My friend, this is in the book. In everything, give thanks. It's in the book, what you going to do about it? <laughs> Another one, Ephesians 5.20. Not only are we to give thanks in every situation, we are to give thanks at all times. We are to give thanks at all times. Page 1649, if you're using the church Bible, Ephesians 5, look what it says. The first three words says, give thanks what? Does it say most of the time? Sometime? It says always. In other words, as Christians... The attitude of gratitude should be always a part of our life. Give thanks in everything at all times. Hebrews 13, 15, do not turn there, but says this. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Notice giving thanks is an act of praise. And something we are to do continually, 
always as believers. So we're admonished, we're encouraged, we're uh, exhorted as believers to give thanks in everything and all times and let her see. We're to give thanks for all things. We're to give thanks for all things. Look at that verse and continue to says in Ephesians 5.20. It says, giving thanks always for all things unto God our Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice these three different things. As a believer, you and I are told to give thanks in every situation, at all times, for all things. As I was preparing this message, I don't know if it was just something coming ahead of the Spirit of God asked me. He said, Dave, have you ever given thanks for your heart attack? It says, for all things. And I realize I have not. I want to talk about the basis of doing so later on. But I had to stop and say, Lord, thank you for my heart attack. Nothing happens in the life of a Christian without going across the desk of God first without his approval. He's approved that for some reason. I have not yet learned what it is, but I'm going to trust him. My job is to thank him for it. So Ephesians 5.20. But notice how many will believe that these admonitions are very difficult. That as a child of God, you are to give thanks in everything at all times, for all things. Pastor, how can I do that? I'm glad you asked. The context here is in the, context is in the filling of the Spirit. Back up in verse 18. It says, verse 18, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. The word filled means controlled by. So the only way I as a Christian can give thanks in every situation I go through, at all times, for all things, is under the control of the Spirit of God. As the Spirit of God controls me and not my flesh. By the way, my flesh does not want to say thank you. My flesh does not want anything to do with it. <laughs> but by being controlled by the Spirit of God, I can and should and be obedient to God and give thanks. That's the exhortation to give thanks. Number two, number two, the reason we should give thanks. The reason believers ought to have the attitude of gratitude let me give you three of them, this, four of them this morning, excuse me. Christians should always give thanks because it is God's will for your life. Christians should always give thanks because it is the will of God for your life. A verse we looked at at the very beginning, we read together at the opening, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Probably the most common question I receive as a pastor. People come to me and say, Pastor, I'm so glad I'm saved. I'm so glad I'm going to heaven. I'm so glad God's forgiven me. And Pastor, I want to please the Lord of my life. I, I just want to, what is God's will for my life? In everything, give thanks. For this is will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. There's so many other things there's God's will, but this is one clear cut. You want to do God's will? Listen, if you're not giving thanks, you are out of the will of God. It's God's will for you in everything to give thanks. That's the first reason why we should give thanks. Let her be the second reason. Christians should always give thanks because of the greatness of God's salvation. Because of the greatness of God's salvation. If you remove all the negative things, we ought to have gratitude in the midst of them. My friend, salvation. How many grateful that they're saved? How many grateful that you have eternal life, that heaven's your home? Let's talk a moment 
about this salvation and why we ought to be grateful for it. First of all, our salvation, the Bible says, is indescribable. Is indescribable. 2 Corinthians 9.15, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. The word unspeakable means indescribable. Literally means unable to recount or fully tell. Human vocabulary is so weak and frail, you cannot adequately explain God's wonderful salvation. It's indescribable. It's one reason we ought to do that. No wonder in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says this, concerning prophets and concerning angels. It said, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, goes on to say, which things the angels also desire to look into. It's so wonderful, the prophets of old inquired it, digitally searched about it, even angels desire to look into it, because it's so wonderful, it's indescribable. We ought to give thanks for it. The second reason to give thanks for our wonderful salvation is because it brings victory. It brings victory. Go with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, please. 1 Corinthians 15, page 1621, if you would, please. Interesting, in between the, the services after Sunday school, I used to run right to my office, and people say, why are you running away, Pastor? I want to stay around the fellowship with people. I go to my office and do a little speech therapy. My speech therapy, Pastor Rick laughs at me all the time. It is a cup with a straw. I blow bubbles. And I talk through the straw into the water, and it teaches me to, when I make words, make sure I do it with air. Because when I had the double pneumonia, the muscles around my vocal cords swelled up, and they're still that way, and, and causes my voice to become raspy. And so basically, I have to teach my vocal cord, my words to come out through my ear, not through the muscles around my thing, that. So that's the reason you hear me go, I want to bring air out and say something. But anyway, uh, I don't know why I got off on that, just trying to kill a little time while you look at Scripture. But anyway, notice what it says here in verse 57, please. Verse 57, what's the first two words? But thanks. But thanks be to God which giveth us what? Victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What are the things we have victory over? Pastor, what things should I give thanks for that I have victory over? It gives three of them right here in the context. The first one is verse 55. It speaks of death. It says, oh, death, where is thy what? Sting. The Christian does not have to fear death. You know, the, one of the greatest things ever happened to you is to die. The Bible defines, James says, that defines death as the body without the spirit is dead. So when we die physically, our spirit leaves our body. And the Bible says absent from the body is what? My friend, what is greater than that? So really, death is just ushered in the presence of God. I'm not saying go out there and just look forward to dying. But you need not fear it. You know, fear of death is one way people are so interested in the gospel. Yesterday, I did a memorial service for a member of our church. There were about 45 people there. And during the service, I was talking about the person who passed away was a believer. And I was sharing with the people there that how you can be certain of seeing this loved one again, how you can be certain of going to heaven when you die. And I asked them a question. I said, if you die today or 10 years today, would you go to heaven? And I said, if not, let me tell you how. And I shared the wonderful news of the gospel. And I gave an invitation 
around 10 to 15 people indicated raise of a hand that they would trust in Christ as Savior. And it's because of the fear of death, of not knowing where they're going to go when they die. And so you give people hope over that. My friend, one thing we have victory over is the fear of death, that we're all going to die if the Lord tarries. It's the point on the man wants to die after this judgment. But we near not fear. He's taken away the sting of death. Hebrews 2.14, listen to this verse, please. For as much then as the children are partakers of the flesh and blood, he, talking about the Lord Jesus, he also himself likewise took a part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were are all their lifetimes subject to bondage. So many people are in bondage to fear of dying. But child of God, we need not fear that. We can live here as long as God lets us do. But when that time comes, we can just really say, you know, one day I'm going to be with the Lord. And there's nothing better than that. The first thing we have victory over is death. The next one in verse 55, the grave. The grave. It goes on to say, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy what? Victory. Now, when you die physically at that very moment, you, you uh, go right to heaven. Absent from the body, present of the Lord. But your body is laid in the grave. But even the grave has no victory. Because the resurrection, God's going to resurrect your body, give you a new body. So, O grave, where is thy victory? The third thing we have victory over is death and the grave. And verse 56, sin. Sin. The sting of death is sin. The strength of the sin is law. My friends, sin ruins lives. It destroys marriages. It destroys individuals. It, what sin can do. But I'm so grateful we can have victory over sin because of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, our salvation. And we'll go on the screen here. The third thing, it not only gives us victory, it causes us to triumph. It causes us to triumph. Triumph. 2 Corinthians 2.14. Now thanks, there's that word again, thanks be unto God which always causes us to triumph in Christ. What victory or triumph do we have over sin? Three things. Many of you have heard me say a thousand times, but I love it. First of all, we have victory over the penalty of sin because Jesus paid the penalty for us. We have victory over the power of sin because the indwelling spirit of God and we have victory over the very presence of sin when Christ returns. Through his death, through his indwelling, and his return, we can have victory over the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. We have reason to give thanks because it causes us to triumph. The next reason we should give thanks, not only because it's God's will, not only because of our wonderful salvation, let us see, Christians should always give thanks because it separates us from the world. Because it separates us from the world. Go with me now to Romans 1, please. Giving thanks separates us from this world. Thanklessness is a trait of the unbeliever. Thanklessness is a trait of unbelievers. Romans 1, page 1581, please. Romans 1. We're going to see one of the characteristics of depravity is unthankfulness. Romans 1, verse 18, please. 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Look in verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were what? Thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. My friend, when you and I have an attitude of gratitude, and we express gratitude to the Lord, we separate ourselves from this ungodly world. Because thanklessness is a trait of unbelievers. But also, ungratefulness is a characteristic of the last days. Ungratefulness is a characteristic of the last days. A verse will be on the screen, so you don't need to turn to. Second Timothy, by the way, how many believe we live in the last days? How many believe the Lord's coming back soon? And I see what our government's doing to our country and what's doing to the things we have as Christians. I say, boy, the Lord's coming back soon. And I'm not looking for the undertaker. I'm looking for the uppertaker. Amen? Amen. And notice what it says here in 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. It's on the screen. This know also that in the last days, those are the days that precede the coming of Christ. It says, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. What's the next word say? Unthankful. Thanklessness is a trait of the unbeliever. Ungratefulness is a characteristic that we live in the last days. When we express gratitude is what separates us from the world. And one more reason why Christians should give thanks, because of what makes us distinct from animals is what makes us distinct from animals. The ability to communicate one, uh, communicate one of the primary distinctions that makes us different from animals is the ability to give thanks. One of the highest forms of communication involves of giving thanks and praise to God. How many ever heard of Dr. Harry Ironside? He has wrote many commentaries, which I have in my office. Here's what he said. Here's an article about him. And the 20th century preacher... Dr. Harry Ironside illustrates this point so well in the story of him dining at a crowded restaurant. As Dr. Ironside prepared to eat, a stranger sat near him. He watched as Ironside bowed his head and prayed over his meal. When he finished praying, the stranger asked, Sir, do you have a headache? Ironside said no. He asked again, Well, is there something wrong with your food? Ironside replied, No. I'm simply thanking God, as I always do, for what I'm about to eat. Then the man said, oh, you're one of those, are you? Well, he said, I want you to know I never give thanks. I earn my money by the sweat of my brow. I don't give thanks for anything for anybody for what I eat. I just dig right in. Ironside gave a coarse and penetrating answer. Sir, you're just like my dog. He does the exact thing, too. <laughs> one thing that sets us apart from animals is giving thanks. So, my friend, these are reasons. Why? Because it's God's will, because we have a wonderful salvation, because it makes us different from the world and distinct from animals. Number three, we saw the exhortation, the reason. Number three, the basis for giving thanks. Now, remember the exhortation. Look up here, please. There are three of them, which makes it very difficult, yet we're told to do. As a Christian, you're admonished to give thanks in everything. You're told to give thanks always, at all times. You're told to give thanks 
for, uh, for, uh, for everything you have. Now, what's the basis for that? Listen, please. The first basis is faith. Is faith. The ability to give thanks in every situation at all times for all things is not based upon one's feelings, but one's faith. Can I be transparent with you? My flesh does not want to say thank you for all that I went through. It did not like it at all. But yet the Bible tells me I am to give thanks. So the basis for doing so is not feelings, but faith. Faith in what, Pastor? Faith, first of all, in believing that God knows what is best. How many believe that God knows what's best? One of the attributes of our God is omniscience, is all-knowing. And God knows what is best for you. If he doesn't know what is best, he is not God. He knows. But also is faith believing that God desires what is best. It's one thing to know what is best. It's another thing to desire what is best. The Bible says also that God is love. In his love, he wants and desires what is best for his children. He knows what is best. He desires what is best. But next, based upon faith, is believing that God will always do what is best. Is believing that God will always do what is best. And first of all, let me say this. God has already given you his very best. It's called his son. Romans 8, 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall, it, shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He's giving his very best. But listen, please. God allows only what is ultimately for our good. God allows only, ultimately, what is for our good. That verse we looked at begin with Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for all things. The only way we can do that is take the all things in Ephesians 5.20 and apply it to all things in Romans 8.28. How many know Romans 8.28? It says, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them that are called in accordance to purpose. It didn't say some things, all things. By the way, it didn't say all things are good. It says all things work together for good. God's able to take your most worst times and work them together with the good times, ultimately for your good. In faith, I can say thank you, Lord, for what I went through. Because he's able to take that and work it together for the good of David Peterson. That's how you do it. It's based upon faith. Your flesh may not want to. Your flesh want to complain, become bitter what God's allowed. But the Bible says, for all things work together for good. And that's the all things you're told to give thanks for. So it's based upon faith. Faith and believing that God knows what is best. Faith and believing that God desires what is best. And faith believing that God will only do what's best in your life. But the second basis is not only faith, it's trust. It's trust. In the midst of all that, you have to trust God's word to be true. That God will take that which brings much hurt. As a pastor, I'm probably more knowledgeable of many things in this church than many of you are. Many of our people in our church are hurting. Many are going through difficult times. Many of them are going through physical struggles. 
And yet, God tells us, in the midst of all them, we are to give thanks. And what their part is, is to trust that God will work it together for good. Go with me now. If you know the verse, you don't have to, but Proverbs chapter 3, please. Proverbs 3. A familiar verse to most of you. Proverbs 3, page 931. We're just about done here. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. So as I go through difficult times, by faith I need to believe that God knows what's best for me, that he wants what's best for me, and that he only allows what's best for me. And then I need to trust him. Notice what it says here in Proverbs 3, 5. Many of you know this verse. Number one, it says, trust the Lord. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not to thy own, what? Human reasoning is one of the greatest deterrents for spiritual growth. When you begin to reason, Pastor, how could that be good for you? How could that difficulty, that physical thing you went through be good for you? I don't know. Yet, I'm going to trust the Lord it is. He says, trust the Lord with all your heart and don't lean to your own understanding. My own understanding says, that's not good. How would God work that together? I don't understand. It's not my place to understand. It's my place to stand upon God's word. So trust him. In every situation, at all times, for all things, we must trust him. Believe that he knows, desires, and will only allow what God is best for me. I must trust him. The next thing to do under trust is to acknowledge him. To acknowledge him. Verse 6. After it says, trust the Lord with all thy heart, it says, verse 6, in all thy ways, acknowledge him, he shall direct thy paths. Here's where I believe you can apply that. Question. I use myself here, and many of you have the same situation. The heart attack I had, could have God stopped that? Of course he could. He's God. He can do anything. He could have stopped it, uh, but he chose not to. So either he allowed it, or... He caused it, but I'm to trust him through it. I don't understand why. I, I didn't like it. I hope it never happens again. But yet, I'm to trust him through it. Because I believe God knows what's best for me. I believe he wants what's best for me. I believe he only allows what's best for me. He's able to take that work together for good. So I'm going to acknowledge him. And, the, and through all that, acknowledge he's always present with me. My... Um, School uh, church administrator, Dave Nichols, picked me up when I left the hospital. My wife had COVID. She couldn't pick me up. And so when I left the hospital with a heart attack, he picked me up. One of the first things he asked me, he says, Pastor, did you, were you afraid when you were about to die? And I look back and I, I said, no, I wasn't afraid. Uh, not because of anything in me, but because of God's word. And God's word says you can know that you have eternal life. And God's word is true. And, am I, and based upon God's word, I had no fear. Uh, I, did, I, I don't like that. I, I went through that. But was I afraid? Not at all. And listen, there's no boast for me. It's boast for the Holy Spirit that lives inside me. In the midst of all that, I had peace. I had peace that God was in control. And that he allowed that in my life. So number one, under trust, trust the Lord. Acknowledge him. And number three... Through it all, maintain a life of uprightness and integrity. Maintain a life of uprightness and integrity. It is so easy for us to get bitter. It's so easy for us to complain. 
it's so easy for us to uh, maybe even want to, in the distance ourselves from God who allowed this. But our job is to maintain integrity. One of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Job. You know about you, I have not been through what Job went through. You ought to read the first two chapters of Job. Job lost everything. He lost all his possessions. He lost all his children. Then after that, he lost his health. Everything but his life. Even his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? But you know how he responded after all that? He referred to God. He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even if God takes my life, I'm going to trust him. Then he goes on to say in Job 13, 15, but I will maintain my own ways before the Lord. Job determined, no matter what can't come in his life, he's going to keep on keeping on for the Lord. I'm going to maintain my integrity. And it's interesting. You got to read the first two chapters, the conversation between God and Satan concerning Job. When Satan come to heaven, it said, God said, Satan, you consider my servant Job? There's none like him. He's perfect. He's upright. He eschews evil. And, jo- and Satan accused him. He said, certainly he doesn't. You put a hedge of protection about him, and I can't touch him. He said, you take away his possessions, he'll curse you to your face. So he accused Job of serving God for the blessings that come in salvation. You take away his blessings, he'll curse you. And God said, okay, you can take what he has, but you can't touch him. And, of course, the rest of the story, Satan left and took away all his possessions, even his children. And then the next chapter, there's another conversation between God and Satan. Satan came back to heaven. And it said, God said unto him, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth, perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and skeweth evil. And still he holdeth fast his integrity. He's still serving the Lord. So, Christian, what I'm trying to say is this. I I don't know what you're going through. We all have difficult times in this world. And whatever hurt you had in the past, my friend, you need to realize, God says, give thanks. And the basis for that is that God knows what's best, he wants what's best, and only will allow us ultimately for your good. Your job is to trust him. I don't understand it. I don't know why. But I know God's good. God was good throughout the whole city. How many believe God's good? And missed all that. He's still good. I just need to trust him. And determine, no matter what happens, if I have another heart attack or if I live for a long time, I will maintain my integrity. I'll keep on serving the Lord. Close your Bibles, please. A verse I looked at earlier I'd like to close with. God's wonderful salvation, the word was given here, indescribable. In fact, the verse was, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Let me ask you a question. What is the gift that's so indescribable? Now, it was Jesus Christ, of course. But more specifically, it's the gift of salvation, which is eternal life. Many of you know a verse Romans 6.23, it says, The wages of sin is death, but what? The gift of God is eternal life. The salvation is a gift. There's a contrast there between wages, something we earn, and a gift, gives them freely. 
Because we've sinned, we all have earned God's judgment. We deserve his wrath, his anger, because we've sinned against him. But he has a gift for you that's undeserved. It's called eternal life. It's through Jesus Christ the Lord. Another verse on the gift. How many know Ephesians 2, 8, 9? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. So let's close with this. Christian, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. If you have the gift of salvation, you understand why it's so wonderful. But if you're here today or watching me by live stream, my friend, let me ask the question I asked those yesterday at the memorial service. If you were to die today or 10 years from today, do you know for certain you go to heaven? The most common answer is, I hope so. I think, maybe, but do you know for certain? My friend, you can know because what Jesus Christ did for you. We need to realize simple things in order to have that assurance. Number one, we're all sinners. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we've all have sinned. And because we've sinned, the wages of sin is death. There's a price tag or penalty for breaking God's laws. And that penalty is death, which means to be separated from God forever in a place called hell. The next thing to understand, you cannot save yourself. Your good works, your good deeds, nothing wrong with them, but they will not pay for your sin. And no matter how good you try to be, you cannot be good enough to go to heaven. Heaven's a perfect place, and you must be perfect to go there. And we're not. We're all sinners. We all have sin. We all owe penalty, and we cannot save ourselves. But the good news is, God committeth his love toward us, and that while we yet sinners, Christ died for us. The penalty of sin that you've earned, that I deserve, Christ took upon himself. And there on the cross, bearing our sin and shame, God the Father punished him for what we've done wrong. He bore our sin, his own body, on the cross, and there paid the debt that you owe. He died for you, he was buried, and he rose again. And he offers you eternal life, free as a gift. A gift is something, an item purchased at somebody else's expense, but given to you freely. Eternal life, a home in heaven, was purchased at Christ's expense on the cross and offered to you freely. Your responsibility, your job is receive it. But to as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. So let me say that, close with this. Going to heaven is not obtained by trying, but by trusting. It's not gained by doing, but resting upon that which is done. It's not gained by working, but relying upon Christ, what he's done for you. So if you would rely, if you would trust, receive Christ as your Savior, at that moment, God gives you eternal life. Heaven becomes your home. You don't have to fear death anymore. Because the moment you die, absent the body, present with the Lord. So, Christian, we have so much to be thankful for. And I pray that you, this Thursday, you make time apart from all your family and friends and eating to pause and thank God for all he's done for you. Let's bow together, please. As the heads are bowed and eyes are closed, my message today was for the believer. To those of you that know Christ, we talked about the principle of giving thanks. 
and how that the attitude of gratitude ought to be prevalent in the life of the believer at all times. We saw the admonition from God to give thanks in everything for all things at all times. Christian, are you doing that? So many of us have gone through very difficult times and we find it very hard to do that. But the basis for that is for you to believe that Christ wants, knows what's best, he wants what's best, and always only do what is best. That all things work together for your good. Christian, your part is to trust him. Trust him in the midst of the hurt, the pain, what you're going through. Trust him that he will work it together for your good, and he'll see you through it, all of it. You need to trust him. But if you're here today, you've never trusted Christ as Savior. My friend, you need to trust the Lord too. You need to trust him for your salvation. He offers you the gift of eternal life through what Jesus Christ has done for you. Your part is to believe, to receive, to trust Jesus as the one who died for you to take you to heaven when you die. You cannot save yourself. You must trust him to do for you what you can't do for yourself, to forgive you and give eternal life. If you have never done that before, why not do it right now? Right where you're sitting, talk to God and put your trust in Christ as your Savior. The moment you do that, God will forgive you and heaven will become your home. You say, Pastor, I'd like to do that. I'd like to have the assurance that heaven's my home. Why not tell God that? Why not, in a quiet show mind, talk to God and say something like this? Just say, Dear God of heaven, I admit, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I've earned. I deserve your punishment. But God, I believe that Jesus, your son, was punished in my place. The judgment that I deserve for my sin, Jesus took upon himself. I believe he died for my sin. I believe he was buried. I believe he rose again. And right here today, realizing I cannot save myself, I'm trusting Christ to be my Savior. I'm trusting him to forgive me and to give me eternal life. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, my friend, did that make sense to you? Did you here today for the first time put your trust, dependence upon Christ to be your Savior? If you did, heaven is now your home. God promises that to you and God cannot lie. But if that made sense to you and you trusted Christ, I'd like to pray for you. I'm not going to have you forward. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. I'm going to do something with heads bowed and eyes closed so no one will be put on the spot. If what I said made sense to you and you prayed to receive Christ as your Savior, and allow me simply to include you in the closing prayer. As heads bowed and eyes are closed, would you simply indicate that today by the raise of hand? Pastor, here's my hand. I trusted Christ. Would you pray for me on it all? Here's my hand, Pastor. Please pray for me. I've trusted Christ as my Savior. Here's my hand. Anyone at all? Father in heaven, I hope that means each one here has already made that decision. Heaven's our home. And because of that reason, we have a wonderful salvation we can be so grateful for. I pray, Father, we would take the message from your word today, the principles we saw there of, of admonitions, the reasons, and the basis for giving thanks, and apply that to our lives as your children. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.